Welcome to Coffee and Change, a podcast where we talk about change in our lives, our work, and our world, and how we're managing it. If you're a fan of public broadcasting or PBS, you're going to love this next conversation. I interview Kristen Crockett, the Director of Learning and Development at PBS. Kristen is an emotional intelligence facilitator and a mindset coach. She focuses on helping individuals and teams identify the stories and beliefs that are blocking them from growing to the next level. In our discussion, Kristen shares her perspective on emotional intelligence, leadership development, and growth mindset, and how all three are key to success and happiness. Enjoy the discussion. Kristen Crockett, why don't you introduce yourself and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am currently the Director of Learning and Development at PBS, and I am definitely have a background in facilitation, love, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, and, and really how to integrate mindfulness in, in everything. So, um, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Awesome. And I know you, you um, when we chatted uh, quite a bit before, um, obviously I was very curious about how you got into some of the work that you're doing now, learning and development and leadership development at PBS. I think when you and I met back in D.C. a number of years ago, you were in the law field. You were a lawyer. So how did you go from being an attorney to learning and development and leadership and development? Sure. So I think one of the things that was really has always been really important for me, and my dad actually was a big proponent of this. He always said, like, Kristen, no matter what you do, just make sure that you love what you do. And I think that's, you know, probably because my dad, you know, found himself married with three kids, not loving his job, and then you kind of feel stuck. So it was very important for me to be able to do something that I love. So I started kind of helping students who were interested in going into law school and just started asking, like, you know, having people fill out a survey that were attorneys. And I kind of noticed a trend that no one was happy. Like everyone was giving advice to these students to say, don't go to law school. Um, They were unhappy. A lot of them, I would say a huge, a large majority of them probably said they would not go back into practicing again. And that kind of stood out to me. Yeah, it was, it was a huge aha moment for me. And so that kind of stuck with me. But um, so I met one happy attorney. What I did come across were other people who told me that they, you know, if they took the, the Metro to work, they were, you know, one guy told me he really takes, he tried to take as long as possible to get to his office because that's how much he hated his job. So things like that kind of stayed with me. And then um, it just kind of became important for me to really explore what it is that I love to do. Um, I went into the field of education. I kind of explored there. I ended up going into, you know, um, jumping on a plane, traveling across the country and, and, you know, working with people in the C-suite at hospitals to talk about leadership development and and sales. And um, I was on a plane coming back from across the country. And all of a sudden, you know, I looked over, there was a couple across the aisle from me. Uh, There was a guy who had, you know, a cup of ginger ale in his hand. And 
the plane ended up dropping in the sky and his, you know, the liquid in his, you know, the ginger ale in his cup just came out and literally just hit the ceiling. And it was at that point that I realized like we probably were not going to make it home that day. Um, so I was scared out of my mind, really just kind of, you know, said to myself in the heat of the moment, like, if this plane goes down, are you, can you say that you are happy with your life right now? And, you know, I realized I was not happy. And so when I, when that plane touched the ground, I immediately started thinking about what it was that I needed to do to be happy. And what made me happy was being in front of a room, um, you know, working and facilitating. And I've not stopped doing it since that point. That is such an incredible story and one that resonates with me so much. And I imagine some of the listeners as well, because I'm on a plane all the time right. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it's so funny, like uh, even, even this morning, you know, I was on a plane and uh, you know, we're somewhere over, I don't know, maybe North Dakota or uh, Montana at that point. And it does, it, it, it starts to get really bumpy and, and you do say to yourself, okay, well, there's a drop, there's a drop. And, and it is interesting when you have that perspective, when you're 35,000 feet in the air and you're kind of in this aluminum tube going 500 miles an hour through the sky and, and just the physics part of it, just in your mind, you kind of think, all right, um, yeah, what if, what if something goes wrong? Um, and then you, exactly. do, you do start thinking, um, what was it like? I mean, for you in that moment, it seems like it, it became pretty crystal clear for you to kind of connect inward and say, hang on, like, I'm not happy. And I'm going to take a moment to really stop and think about what makes me happy and then pursue that. Right. Uh, that in itself is probably got to be pretty courageous. But what was that like for you to kind of take that step out of law? I mean, you, you had a lot of signs around you clearly that people weren't very happy, but yeah, it, it woke you up. No, it it did. I think what happens is that I'm a big believer in, you know, signs now, like what, what is the universe telling you? What are the people around you? What are the conversations? What are, you know, what's, what's happening? Like what books are you choosing? What are these signs that are all kind of leading you to a different path? And I think at that time, um, I never really wanted to practice. I, um, you know, I, I just, when I started meeting people and listening to people who were extremely unhappy, that is a big reason why I got out. But I think for me, um, you know, we tend to kind of create excuses or reasons for why we are not happy with something. Right. And so, I kind of like, so when I left that and went into, you know, sales and leadership development, like selling leadership development to hospitals, I kind of was like, oh, it's just because it's something new. Like, this is the medical field. Like, it's just different. You're used to education. So it's okay. Like, all of this stuff that you're feeling, it's just because it's new and it's different. But in, really, that was my intuition saying, like, no, sales is not for you. This is not for you. And I was just hiding all of that. And I think a lot of times we do that with listening to our friends, feeling the pressure from our family, listening to what we should be doing instead of, like, really taking, you know, like, into account what it is that we want to do. We're spending that time thinking about it. And so I think that moment 
was literally every conversation, every thought I'd ever had, it was, it was all, it, all of it just kind of came together on that flight. And when that moment occurred, when I thought that I was not going to, you know, survive, that's when I had to really take a really hard, honest look at myself and say like, okay, you're not happy. So what is it going to take to make you happy um, in your career? So, so yeah, so Bill, I think it's just a lot of it is just really taking the time to listen to yourself, but also to all the signs around you. Like what are, what are things saying? Like what are, you know, where are these conversations? Where are you being led to talk to certain people? Um, What, what, you know, ignites inside of you? What makes you feel that you are being filled up, you know, as opposed to being in something where you feel that you are being drained, you know? So I think that was just very important for me to finally take that time and listen to all those things. Yeah, there's a word that you mentioned that I'd love to kind of zero in a little bit. You said intuition. And as you were talking about it, I'm I'm kind of listening from the standpoint of, I mean, even, even the, you know, briefly you talked, you talked in that experience, you already had empathy because you had empathy for the two people sitting across the aisle from you. I mean, you were going right. through it as well, but you had empathy for the people that were across the aisle from you. And then you talked about your intuition and I know, you know, briefly before when we chatted, you also, you really uh, focused on the power of emotional intelligence. And, and I think that's where you're talking a little bit about that, the knowing that we have inside, um, can you talk a little bit about that that EQ or that emotional intelligence? I mean, there's a lot of it in the in the in the world and and the spaces that you and I work, uh, and it seems to be kind of a a term that that's catching fire uh, in a good way. But I would love to hear you talk about it, kind of what it means for you and the work that you do. Yeah, so I think at the at the very root of anything dealing with emotional intelligence is it's self-awareness, right? So like, am I able to say, these are the things that I'm feeling right now um, or picking up on, you know, what other people are attempting to tell you or, or how they are feeling. Right. So the root of all of that is self-awareness. And I think that was a moment of clarity for me because I had not been listening to myself. I had not been listening to others. It was, really just kind of navigating this world, making excuses for, you know, why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. So that moment forced me to have that self-awareness um, as well as to, to be empathetic for the couple across from me um, and to see myself in them. Like that ginger ale coming out of that cup and literally hitting the ceiling of a plane was how I felt. That, those were my emotions, right? It was the, the physical manifestation of what was going on inside of me. So I think right. from that point, it's just kind of that was probably my introduction to self-awareness and emotional intelligence. But for me, we like you're right, we do. We throw that word around a lot, emotional intelligence, but it's really just being able to um, own the emotions and the communication, kind of like the energy that you are putting out into the world and how you are impacting other people and, you know, also how you are being impacted by other people. I think that's really the root of it. So if you get into it at, you know, like if you're talking about this in the workplace and you're saying like you're going in, you're going to talk to someone, you're going to give them some feedback right at this very moment and you walk in and you see that their eyes are red, you know, you have to say to yourself, like, these are the, 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 the unspoken things that are going on that should, should signal to you, maybe this is not the right time to have this conversation, right? So it's really just 
honestly picking up on all of the signs, you know, and then how you are impacting other people, um, whether that's negatively or positively, picking up on those signs as well. So I think that that, that to me is emotional intelligence at the root of it. Yeah, and as you were talking about the importance of it for leaders, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's the challenge that I see a lot of leaders run into, and I, I would love your, your thoughts, you know, as someone who gets to coach a lot of leaders, the challenge I, I see a lot of leaders run into is they say to themselves, there's just not enough time to do the introspection or the reflection. Um, and, you know, their, their, their calendars run them, not the other way around. And some leaders have the best of intentions to kind of take that time to do the, you know, the look inward. Um, but it, it, gets, it gets cut short. And I think that's what ends up happening is they show up and um, the experience uh, doesn't go as they would hope. So, so I, you know, when you're thinking about, like, coaching leaders, I mean, that's one thing is time. How do we give them time to do it? But what are some of the other barriers that you see when, when you're working with leaders to really get them to understand and hone in on, look, if you don't have self-awareness and you don't have the ability to kind of dig deep and, and understand who you are and how you show up and why you react or act a certain way, uh, success is, 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 is really far away. Yeah, I think, you know, what I have seen, there are two kind of assessments. For me, emotional intelligence, and then there's also one that, that encompasses emotional intelligence and also adds a 360 component to it uh, with those same emotional uh, intelligence competencies. And so I think that, for me, this, this specific tool of emotional intelligence has, I've seen the most growth in leaders. Um, out of any other tool that I've worked with. And so I think that you're right. You, you, most people can look at, you know, their assessment and say, wow, like, oh, my God, this is me. But there are definitely some people where they have the even, you know, like, they have the inability to see themselves even in their results, right? So that's when it's important for other people to say, mm, no, not just the assessment. Like, it's not just the assessment that's saying this, but also, other people are saying this as well. And so it just means that sometimes connecting the dots for some people takes a little bit more time, but we eventually get to that point. And sometimes that is using specific examples that they have given themselves to then illustrate the point, right? So if you're like, oh, that's not me, that's not me, right? Then it's kind of illustrating other things that then are, they're able to then see themselves in those experiences in those actions, um, you know, in that particular moment. And so then they can start to kind of ingest it because, I mean, you got to think about it. Like there's a reason why sometimes it's that step protection. There's a reason why sometimes we are not self-aware, right? It could be survival. It could be sometimes it's too difficult to change, right? Um, some people just look at it as like it's too much of an investment to change, which is why a lot of people talk about not wanting to go to therapy, Right. Um, it's not just you go see a therapist for once and you're cured. It's, it's, you know, it does take some work um, that starts all with the desire to want to change and then that awareness. So, um, so that's been my experience with it. But I think the time is a little different because, you know, you're right, Bill, where there are definitely leaders, especially the higher up you get, the less time that you have. But that does not mean that you still can't have those moments of self-awareness outside the workplace, right? 
there's so many things that you can do um, to ensure that people are, you know, that they're more mindful, that they're more aware of their energy and what they're putting out there. And it doesn't just have to be packed into a work day. Yeah, I would, I would certainly agree. I know, um, you know, just, just the unique cultural differences between you're on the East coast and I'm on the West coast. And I noticed the unique, you know, unique cultural uh, differences between working in a place like Washington, D.C. versus working in a place like Seattle, Washington. Um, and, you know, there are some places where I think, to your point around, there's less stigma um, in certain places around mindfulness and, you know, taking care of uh, the body and mind uh, together in order to kind of show up um, the, the best way you can as a leader. When you think about culture, uh, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of culture coast to coast. But when you also think about some of the corporate culture, and I, I put the word stigma out there, so maybe we'll just we'll, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. Is there still a cultural stigma in your mind in terms of um, that mindfulness approach, or maybe even people taking the time to do some of the introspection and the you know the emotional intelligence work as leaders? I think definitely. I think it, it, it is all about like everything that we are, that we do in the workplace is all about whether or not that is seen as the norm or that is seen as something that is not awkward. Right. Um, and so there are certain cultures, workplace cultures where you can walk in and they're already open and accepting of that. Right. But then there are other times where you have to kind of break down the barrier of, why people are not open to it, you know, specifically in working with salespeople, it's, it's kind of like they're always, you know, um, concerned with a lot of different things, right? So that's making money, it's making the clients happy. It's kind of like that go, 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 go mindset. But it's something for me that I've built in in every single workshop, which is, hey, Let's take time to just take a few deep breaths for just one minute. We're going to kind of sit here and I'm going to walk you through a little, you know, activity from that point. You can see after a one minute activity that just involves breathing, you can see their faces and you can see like just how much lighter they are. And so when you get them to talk about that, they're like, whoo. I've never really taken time for myself, right? Because there's so many other concerns. And so when people then begin to feel what it is like to just take that one minute for themselves to breathe and to be aware of what they're, breathe, what they're feeling, right? Um, that enables you to begin to do a little bit more work. So it's first just introduction, like introducing that concept to people through different ways. But I think, you know, Culture is very, very important. Like, I think it's, like, probably the most important thing that we all underestimate when it comes to um, building in new concepts because, you know, Bill, I think it's like, you know, even when people go on interviews, we tend to always think about, like, do they want me? But ultimately, we should also be concerned about whether or not they want, want us. Um, I'm sorry, whether or not we want them. And, you know, also, what is their, their, their workplace like? What's the culture like there? Because 
that will that will actually tell you whether or not you're able to do certain things, have certain ideas that are, you know, deemed acceptable or non-acceptable. Um, what's your work-life balance like? Do people leave at 4.35 o'clock? Are they staying till 9 o'clock? Is it acceptable to get emails, you know, early in the morning at five in the morning versus, you know, other people like, oh, it's acceptable to send emails all night. Um, you know, so all of those things are really important. And I think that's one of the beauties of my past is, you know, having worked formerly for uh, radio stations, every single station was completely different. You know, the culture was very different. So, um, and that definitely tells you just, you know, how much work you have to do uh, to kind of introduce new concepts, but all of it is, is possible. It's just, you know, how do you go about doing it? Yeah. And I think the, the other thing I find kind of fascinating when you talk about culture and the concepts is, I mean, inherently there's some risk, uh, in trying something new and, and in some aspects that might excite people and other aspects it might, it might terrify people. When you think about the, the way that people take on risk in business, you know, let's say we're going to do a new business venture and we'll put it, we have that risk out there, but maybe the thing that offsets the risk is revenue or we might make a lot of money or we might get awards. Or we might get recognition. When you think about the norms uh, that we've, that we've grown up with. And, and I think a lot of those norms are rooted in frankly, an old business model that probably stems from okay. the, you know, thirties, forties, fifties. Um, are you seeing new ways of recognition for people? So when you're working and you're coaching people and you're working with leaders and teams, I mean, I see it every single day. I see uh, a workforce that's emerging and, and, and coming, you know, to work in places and their definition of recognition is changing. Mm-hmm. How is that? How is that showing up for you? Yeah, I think that the old model is that your reward is having a job, Right. So you hear that where sometimes people are like, you want me to recognize you? Like, you're recognized with having a job and being able to pay your bills every month, right? That's the old way of doing things. And I think the best illustration of this was actually going to a to a concert. And um, I actually saw, you know, a situation where the, the performer was, you know, that moment where she stops and she's kind of introducing every band member and she completely forgot to introduce the bass, bass player. And it was not like, you know, obviously it was not intentional, but she just forgot. And, and I'm telling you, like, he played his heart out. And then when it came time for him to, you know, for them to go around and she introduced everyone and forgot him, you saw it in his face, right? You saw it in his demeanor that he just kind of stopped playing as hard. And what that said to me is that even when you love what you do, you still need recognition, period. That's all that it is. And so now I think people are starting to understand that recognition is not one size fits all. We cannot recognize, like, Bill, I'm sure the way that you want to be recognized is probably different from the way that I um, prefer to be recognized, right? So some people it's about, 
you know, that public recognition. Some people don't want anyone to know. They prefer for it to be in private. Um, some people love when their birthday is like a month long, right, that celebration. And others don't even want their birthday acknowledged, right? So we have to really make sure, I think as a leader, it's really important that you ask people how they want to be recognized. You know, is it going to lunch with their manager? Is it, you know, a gift card? Is it being sent to um, a learning and development session? Um, what is it that, that really helps them to feel recognized? And then you actually customize that according to each person. And I think that, you know, organizations are starting to really understand that we all crave recognition and it only helps you feel valued and it makes you feel like, you know, that you, you meet, like that you belong. Right. So, so it's definitely tied to engagement surveys. It's definitely tied to feeling that you belong. And when you feel that you belong someplace, you're going to be there longer. Right. So it's tied to retention. You know, it's tied to, you know, do you feel valued as a team? You know, Um, all of these things kind of help people really, you know, feel that they can sometimes take risks. Right. If If you're not feeling valued, you're not going to take risks. If you don't take risks, there's not going to be any innovation. If there's no innovation, you're not going to grow. So, and then it's tied to money, right? If you're not growing, you're not going to make money, right? So all of these things are connected. And I think that just companies are starting to realize that now. And if they don't, I'm hoping that they're listening to this so that they understand that it's so massively important to make people feel that they are recognized and that they belong. Yeah, I mean the power of belonging in in my in my mind in my sort of experience, uh, the power of belonging. If you if you can create that and it's authentic and genuine, I mean you you can you can put no currency on that. In in my opinion, because the, the people will work that much harder, they will go that much further, they will come up with new ideas because the power of belonging and community and safety is uh, pretty untouchable. I mean, I think it's interesting as well, and you were talking about just the different ways of recognition because um, I know you and I have talked about before, and I probably mentioned on this podcast previously, you know, the power of things like strength finders and people understanding kind of what their strengths are versus, you know, always coming at something from, you know, well, this is your weakness, so we have to work on this with you this year. Um, Or you didn't hit this goal last year, so we're going to work on that this year. I see that shifting a little bit. And even as you were describing it, it, it reminded me that recently uh, somebody actually said in a, in a, in a business meeting that they, they would like to know of, of their team members. Um, they, they introduced this concept that people might've heard about the five love languages, which is how people like to sort of, you know, get, get recognition. Now, granted, it's more rooted in a relationship, but, you know, the five love languages being words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, or physical touch. Now, obviously, in the workplace, physical touch probably wouldn't be there, but the other things, as you talked about, is it a gift card? Is it a, hey, let me spend quality time with you as a leader? Is right. it a words of affirmation to you, in, you know, personally, like one-on-one, or is it more important for me to say it on a stage? I think it's even fascinating how people are starting to bring, to bring the five love languages into the corporate environment. So I'd love your thoughts Absolutely. on that. Absolutely. Oh, my God. So two things that you just talked about. Like, first off, the five love languages changed my life. 
okay? Changed my life, as well as Strength Finders as well. And I will tell you, like, for me, um, growing up, Christmas was the hardest time in my life because every time I gave my mom a gift, she was not, she, it didn't seem like she was, like, 100% happy with that. Um, when I read the five love languages, I actually realized that my mother was acts of service. So really about, you know, when things, when her life was easier, you know, when we did things for her and it kind of eased up on the amount of things that she had to accomplish, like that was, that was her love language. And so I started doing things like actually guess for Mother's Day, I started planting flowers in her front yard. Now it took a whole lot more effort than just going to the store and buying a gift or ordering it online. But it was something that she loved. And the neighbors were like, oh, Kristen was here again. She planted your flowers, right? So it was something that she loved. And so that changed my whole relationship with my mom. It is no different at work, right? It's definitely no different. There's still, you know, people, we still can talk about active service where, um, you know, if someone's responsibility is to go and, you know, set up the conference line and to, you know, make sure that, you know, things are ready for a meeting. Think about it. As a leader, if you actually did that for them, how incredible they would feel, right? And specifically saying to them, hey, just wanted to make things easier for you today. Um, you know, just wanted to let you know that I wanted to give you a few more minutes. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set it up for you today, right? Just how amazing that would be. Um, so I think that we really should be thinking about the five love languages at work because it's really just about how people feel seen, which is the most important thing. When you can speak someone's language, they can feel seen. We all know what it's like to be in a room with someone who doesn't speak the same language as you. It hinders communication. It makes you not want to have small talk. It makes you not want to build relationships because you cannot communicate with them. When they can hear you and you can hear them and you're communicating in the same language, it automatically builds that connection between you. It makes, you know, it cuts down on the, on the amount of time that you have to, to build a great relationship, um, you know, based on communication. And it just makes you feel seen and feel heard. And that, that to me is the most important thing um, is to really help people feel seen and heard. Um, and then, Bill, with Strength Finders, I completely agree with you. So for me, when I took that assessment, I just was like, wow, this is me. These are my top five strengths. And things began to make sense to me about how I operated in the workplace. You know, I'm very great with building relationships and, and influencing other people and strategizing things, really coming up with a strategy, right? And it was important for me to understand that execution was something that I had to do by hiring the right people to put them in place to do the execution because I was grading other things, right? But when we talk about performance reviews, that is definitely like the one time when people are stressed out. Managers don't like doing it. You know, employees don't like, like receiving them. Um, because it's always like, this is what you didn't do well. And so we want you to focus more on that. Like, and so now you're right. I do see a shift where people are starting to understand that whatever you focus on grows, right? And so if you focus on your strengths, 
you can focus on how to become more effective in the workplace. And I will tell you just last week, my daughter is trying to raise extra money for, you know, doing chores around the house because she really wanted, you know, this one item. And I was like, all right, what do you want to do? Not do this, do that, do this, but what do you want to do? And she told me what she wanted to do. And that's how we kind of built that. And I just thought, God, I hate unloading the dishwasher. And that was my job every day as a kid, right? But what if my parents said, hey, what, what is it that you all would like to do? How much, you know, how much I would have loved to do chores a lot more than being forced to do something. And it's no different yeah. in the workplace, right? So. Yeah, I think it's so interesting that you give the, the chores example because that's so relatable. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, and I think, I think it's interesting. I think I might have told my father and my mom, I like to vacuum and I like to iron. So can I do those? And I remember that, you know, they were probably a little bit like, wait, this is not how this works. Like, you don't get to negotiate what you do. But I remember then I went to my siblings because uh, I'm one of six and I negotiated with them. And I said, all right, I know who's, who's got, who's got, you know, the, the kitchen, who's got the bathroom. I will trade you this so that I can vacuum and or iron. But I think it's so interesting that you, you gave that example because it made me think. It literally took me back to like eight years old and I'm remembering why. And now I remember why it's because during vacuuming, I could reflect and during ironing, mm -hmm. I can slow down and pause and reflect. And it's so, you know, you talk about the love languages and the strength finders, I'll throw yet another tool that I've spent a lot of time in. And I'm the more time I spend in it, the deeper it goes is the Enneagram. Um, mm -hmm. And for those that aren't listening, you know, don't know about the Enneagram and, and, and are listening, I encourage you to kind of do a little research, but I'll throw some numbers out here to just guide us. I've recently learned on the Enneagram, which has a sort of one to nine scale, that my sort of three numbers of how I show up are five, nine, two. Now, for, you know, a very short summary of what that means is, uh, you know, very much like Katniss Everdeen of Hunger Games, a five is someone who draws back, you know, before they do anything, they have to almost draw back the bow and take in a very sort of setback focus before they, you know, let the arrow fly anywhere. So my first, my first instinct is to draw back and take in the entire, take in the entire scene, you know, gather the facts, gather the information. My second number is nine. And that means I go very big. I go orbital. I take in like a huge vision from, from 30,000 feet. So I draw back, I go big. And then my last number is two, which is I'm a helper. And that's sort of my empathy coming on strong. And the first action I take once I've drawn back, taken in the big vision, is I go straight into help. And so knowing that about myself is fascinating because on performance reviews, it is really interesting because sometimes that can frustrate people, right? Because if I'm working with someone who's like, I want you to throw the dart, I want that to be your first thing, they're going to be frustrated by me stepping back, taking in the scenery going, okay, let me get all the facts and then throw the dart. They're going to say, why'd you take so long to throw the dart? Like you could have been done. And that's just not the way I operate. So I think it's really fascinating about the, the love languages, strengths, and even things like Enneagram, how those are showing up in the working place. Absolutely. I totally agree. So for Enneagram, I am definitely an enthusiast. Um, and I'm also a helper. And that just really makes sense for me. Um, because I care about possibility. I care about like, you know, um, what else could we do better? 
right? Um, you know, but I also like to have a lot of fun at work. And that was something for me that kind of hit where my mom was a first grade teacher. And when I walked in one day to help her out at school, she was having the kids play um, Simon Says to teach them the different bones in the body. So she's saying, you know, Simon Says, touch your patella. Simon Says, touch your femur, you know. And I realized that you had kids across the classroom having fun. They were having fun while they were learning. And that is exactly what I do with facilitation um, and creating curriculum for sessions. It's how do I build in how to have fun? But then also for the people who are, are the introverts, it is building in, you know, time for them to kind of think about things before they actually talk to someone or pairing them up versus being in a group of six, right? So all of these things I'm taking into place where all of these assessments that we've talked about kind of help you understand your strengths so that you can be more self-aware and you can actually help others be more self-aware as well, Right. Yeah, even so though you I, just said, the way you just said that, to like pair people up before putting them in a group of six, it's so interesting just hearing you say that makes makes my, you know, my 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 heart not race as much because I agree, you know, it's it's interesting as someone who performs as an extrovert but is very much an introvert that, you know, when somebody says, "Okay, break off into a group of 5 and go solve this problem," like a part of me just goes, "Oh, I'm not like I'm not, that's not where I want to start. Now, if you'd said to me, hey, the person across the table from you, you two are going to pair up and we're, you're going to spend some time getting to know each other and then we're going to enter a group exercise, that's a much easier on-ramp for me. So even you just naming yeah. that is interesting. I'm still learning all these things, you know, this this far into our our careers, but uh, but it's really important to to do that. So I think, you know, all of these tools and, and like you said, turn, turning turning some of this work feel into things like a classroom, like a living classroom, a living laboratory. We go out and we do things every single day to help people. We're going to learn. We're going to learn along the way. Like that is part of it. Um, and that to me is also very much the mindful, you know, the growth mindset part of this. We, you know, that's a whole nother probably episode we could talk about the growth mindset piece. But um, I see people when they get that opportunity to even have permission to entertain that growth mindset, they show up differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I think also one of the big things for both you and I, for everybody is that it's kind of always understanding that we are both teachers and students all of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So even having been in this for, for years, I still learn from other people and I still look to learn from other people. Right. So never thinking that I know everything. And so just, you know, as you were talking just about things that we have learned, I was one day doing a panel and, you know, a mentor panel and had people sitting in front of the room and the mentees sitting around them. And I noticed that we had one person who was raising his hand to answer the question. Everyone else was just jumping in. And he never was able to really to say what he wanted because everyone else was jumping over him. That for me was, hmm, how do I make sure that he feels heard as well? And ended up purchasing some whiteboards where I would ask a question, they would all write it down, and then he would hold it up. Everyone would hold it up so that people could see his answers along with everyone else 
without getting, you know, drowned out by the people who were so quick to just jump in. Um, so I think that those are things that are important for us too, is to like self-awareness is not just about like, it's, we want to be aware of, of who we are, but we also want to be aware of how other people are being impacted and affected by the people around us as well. So that's another example for just learning, uh, but also yeah. how emotional intelligence goes into everything, you know, everything. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I would love to kind of on that note, I would love to have you talk about your amazing organization called Sister Lift, because as you talked about, you know, just you described in that example of somebody being able to get their voice out there and equity, equity of ideas, equity of access. Um, you've started this amazing organization called Sister Lift that I would love our listeners to hear about, because I think at the heart of it, that's exactly what you're addressing. Yeah, absolutely. So Sister Lift started because I, you know, in doing um, emotional intelligence assessments with people, but also 360s, I started understanding that a lot of times, um, specifically women, but it's, it, but it's definitely true for, for men and others as well, but for spe specifically for women, we are taught almost from an early age, like I remember my mom, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, five years old in a skirt and she's like, put your legs together, you know, like we're kind of taught that, or I should say socialized, whereas everything that we're doing is almost wrong, right? So it's constant correction in everything that we do as kids, like, you know, you're a woman, you're a little girl, so you can't do that or you can't do that. And so that kind of stays with us through adulthood. And I started finding that you had these phenomenal women in the workplace where everyone else was giving them scores of fours or fives, but yet they were giving themselves threes, right? And so ultimately from that, Sister Lift came from having just really positive and uplifting women in the same room that we are all talking about certain things that we may not have ever shared before or things that we just never had uh, had time to even talk about before. We're really focusing on us, right? So what is it that fills you up? What makes you happy? Um, you know, what are your strengths? And kind of talking about those as well. So it's giving them that space and that time to really get to know themselves, but also um, to have the comfort and, uh, and the support of other women around them and just lifting them up. So kind of as we are going within to work on ourselves, also having the comfort of lifting everyone else around us, you know? So that's really the idea behind Sister Lift and, and doing different sessions and retreats. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I mean, I love that old adage of, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I do believe, exactly. I do believe in that because we see it. Um, and I wish, I wish we saw more of it uh, in the world. And, and I think the other, the other part that you really mentioned that, um, that I want to stress is, is that power of positivity. I mean, this is where you and I have talked a lot about how it's really benefited our lives and, and, you know, benefiting the people we get to work with. But when you do have that that positive thinking um, and that mindful thinking and, and whatever mechanism, you know, you, you employ to kind of get there, um, you start to notice things changing around you. Um, and many times for the better, or if they're not for the better, as you were saying uh, before, you find your voice in which you can uh, correct the things that are, that are not right. Um, you have that strength, you have that, network, yeah. you have that support around you to step up and say, this isn't right. And it needs to change. 
Absolutely. And I think the other big part of that too is, you know, the whole thing behind Sister Lift is, is ultimately, you know, finding your superpowers. But a part of that too is embracing your origin story. So every single superhero out there has an origin story, which is their past, which is how they became, you know, the person that they are today. And I think so many times we are taught as people, as individuals that, you know, we should not be proud of where we came from, or we should hide certain things or certain things should be a secret. We shouldn't tell family business, you know, those types of things. And so what I am having people understand or embrace is this concept that we all have an origin story. It really is about who we are. It gives us our power. And through sometimes through some of our pain, you know, if we look at, I'm talking about Batman. If Batman, you know, lost his parents, right? They were murdered. And ultimately, he's now helping people, right? And so that's something that um, we all need to kind of embrace. And I don't think that this world embraces our origin story enough um, in what we do. And as a leader, I cannot lead other people unless I have worked on myself within. And so that's kind of the root of everything that I do, um, you know, in, in all of my work is kind of helping leaders and individuals work on their work within so that they can then empower um, other people and embrace their incredible talents. I think that is so powerful that the origin story is something that really, really, really resonates with me. And I think, you know, that aspect of you have to know where you came from before you can know where you're going is so, so true, especially I think in the the pace at which we're moving today. And, um, you know, I, 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 I was just in Chicago and, um, you know, on a business trip and it's so interesting. You talk about that, the power of people understanding where they came from and even the generations before them, uh, I was walking down, uh, you know, uh, State Street in Chicago, and there was there was this uh, group of, I'd say they were probably in their 20s, and they were taking a picture in front of a what looked to be, you know, just one of the corporate buildings. And I kind of overheard them, and I said, would you like me to take a picture of all three of you? And they said, sure. And um, I took the picture, and they said to me, it's the building that their dad worked in when he got his first job. And they were taking oh, a picture wow. and sending it to him. And so even that, you know, you think to yourself, okay, maybe these were some, some uh, young people that were visiting Chicago and there's all these places you can go in Chicago, but it meant something to them to take a picture in the doorway of the building where their father first worked. And so I think it's so interesting to stitch those things together because it is who we are. And whether people want it or not, it's, it's what we show up to work with. Um, you know, yeah. our stories, are with us every single day and we don't have to be uh, afraid of them. I agree with you. They are our superpowers. Um, I tell, I tell a lot of young people I get to work with be unapologetically you because it's what the yeah. world needs. And if the, and if the world doesn't realize it needs it quite yet, it will eventually. Um, but that involves yeah. your origin story, right? Absolutely. Like, I mean, the thing about it is that when you spend time hiding from the experiences that you've had when you spend time distancing yourself from your past or even from your parents' past or your you know, family's past, any, any of that, um, that's energy, right? It's all of this energy that you are exerting when it's, it's no energy to just be you, right? And so you end up finding that when you start embracing it, 
you can put more energy forward um, and really living, being genuine and, and being filled with all of your talents um, that you can really progress forward instead of trying to distance yourself from, from who you were or, you know, where you've been. Um, all of those things. It's just about energy being placed and moving forward. And it's amazing when you don't exert that energy and you actually get to have it be in the flow to, to the point you made earlier in the discussion, it's amazing what signs show up for you and what things you see and what patterns are there. And all of a sudden you're like, I had no idea, but you have more, um, you have more capacity too. So I, I think that's, that's a very powerful point. Um, well, Kristen, thank you so much for joining in this conversation. This was really, really awesome. Um, and, uh, very important topics, I think, um, for, for folks. If folks wanted to <clears throat> learn a little bit more about you or Sister List, um, where would they go? How would they, how would they find out um, uh, and connect with you? Yeah, so I am definitely available online. I think LinkedIn is a really great platform. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and you can also go to kristencrockett.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Really appreciate the time and hope we get to have another conversation in the future and obviously see how people are doing with, you know, who knows, by, by then maybe the five love languages will be incorporated in every corporate development program. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been great. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Kristen. Okay. I hope you enjoyed that dynamic discussion with Kristen Crockett. If you did, look her up on LinkedIn. Drop her a line and certainly follow the amazing work being done at Sister Left. Thanks for listening.